Alexa, what does ghosting mean? Ghosting is usually defined as ghost imaging, the practice of hiding prisoners from inspection from outside inspectors or a problem with a keyboard where certain simultaneous key presses are not recognized. Hey Alexa, what does ghosting mean in 2018? Here's something I found on Wikipedia. Ghost is a Swedish rock band that was formed in Linköping, Sweden in 2006. Did that answer your question? No, Alexa, look up ghosting on urbandictionary.com. Sorry, I'm not sure about that. She's useless. Hey, Alexa, what does ghosting a relationship mean? Hmm, I don't know that one. Oh, great. Hey, Alexa, go to sleep. She's going to take my job one day. What, for not knowing anything? (laughs) Yeah. She's really good at my job, which is having no answers for anything at all. Overrated. So all of you people who are fearful of AI and it taking over your job, yeah. case study after case study. Unless you're professionally incompetent, you're safe. Wow, I like that. Well, welcome to another episode of On the Line. My name is Christina Kay. I'm Joe Mullings. And today we're talking about ghosting, which means something really different for millennials than I think in the context of what we're going to talk about today. But um, but the premise is the same. Right. So ghosting typically with, uh, I don't know if it's millennials, but my definition has been like you call somebody, you go out on a date for whatever reason you like them or didn't like them, and then poof, you're gone. You just ghost them. You don't appear anymore. Yeah. Um, it's mostly on an inbox basis. So... There's like a text dialogue, and then all of a sudden, there's not a text dialogue, and they disappear. So I had put out a piece on LinkedIn um, about ghosting individuals who went through an interview process. Um, And again, any level from uh, submitting a resume to literally a final interview, and we see this a lot, not necessarily through our clients, but we hear the war stories. And then they never hear from the company again. And the individual gets ghosted. No explanation, uh, no thanks but no thanks letter, uh, nothing. And uh, I put out the article not expecting a huge readership on it. Um, And wow, it got heavy engagement. And it's running rampant, according to the responses, in the marketplace. Oh, yeah. I mean... And it's probably true for the inverse too, right? Like not just uh, ghosting on on the interview process as the interviewer, but also the interviewee. And, and I've totally been guilty of that where I've been offered a job and and they're like, great, we like you so much. Can't wait to start. And I was just like, oh, you were my backup plan. I guess I should probably just pretend you never existed now. And I ghosted. Oh. So that like when you ghost, you stop it all. Like no more trail to lead them to anything. I just, I just evaporated and uh, and they called me out on it and I felt super bad about it. And why didn't you close out the relationship? Uh, I was 21. Mm-hmm. Stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I felt uncomfortable saying no. And um, yeah, I, more than anything, I just didn't at the time, I didn't want to be bothered with the like emotional distress of having to write that email. It was just like, well, easier to just not write it. For you. For me. And then they wrote me this email that was like, uh, hey, we spent a lot of time interviewing you. We really liked you and, you know, thought that we got along as just individual people. And I would have even been interested in being your friend, but you just like 
totally blew us off. And I thought that was really rude and inconsiderate. And like, just so you know, you probably shouldn't do that in the future. Right. The emotional anguish of that email was so much more than writing the original email that like, I've never made that mistake again. In fact, like not even with, uh, I mean, there's rules for date ghosting and dating, I think that are specific, like, and maybe it's true for, for job interviews too. You know, if it's just a couple text messages, you can totally ghost. Like you, yeah. you haven't met that person. And if it's one date with like zero chemistry, I think you can still ghost. But if you're on a, if you're texting after the first date or certainly going on a second date, you have lost all privilege. You have to. Close so maybe it. it's like a second interview. It's, uh, there is a relationship. So let's stay on the employer side of ghosting um, to the individual. So they're, they're, they're the organization is supposed to be um, less personal, meaning, right, so so if you ghost somebody, it's you individually ghosting somebody. If, if a company ghosts somebody, it's the machine. Mm-hmm. And so there should be no embarrassment on behalf of the machine. It ends up oftentimes being a really lousy process or somebody doesn't own the closure of the process uh, often. That's, that makes sense. And that's really what it ends up being is, is nobody's paying enough attention to all the people who got the no. And, and there's always more people that get the no than the yes. Of course. And ghosting those people is silly because if they were good enough to bring in house, then downrange, they may have been good enough to hire in the future. And then if you ghost them, odds are you're not going to get another shot at them. Mm-hmm. The The challenge is, is when is it a ghost and when is it not a ghost? I think it I think the ghost is a direct relationship to how far and how engaged you got in the process. So as a headhunter, I have people who send me unsolicited resumes and I do make it a um, sort of a challenge to myself to answer every single one of them, even if they have no no chance of getting placed by our firm, either they've been out of the industry for a long time, whatever it is. I still try and respond to everybody if possible, you know, hundreds of people a week. Um, but once somebody does a telephone interview and moves through the process there, they absolutely deserve some sort of closure. Even if the closure is the company didn't tell us. Right. But I'm telling you that this is probably why it went sideways. Or they just went with someone else. Or they found somebody else and they just weren't cool enough, right? We never diss the company. We just sort of give an explanation to the person. Right, right, right. And most people, quite honestly, just want to know what could they have done better for future Mm -hmm. use in interview process. That's been my experience. Yeah, so I'm wondering, like, uh, if I were a candidate in this in this situation and I, and I set this to like, you know, a dating proxy. If I'm ghosted by somebody, it is like an act of deep shame and it's totally regrettable for you to reach out and be like, Hey, it's me again. But I feel like that's probably not true. If you were a candidate, it's probably okay to reach out and say like, Hey, just checking in where the process is. You know, I just would, would love to, to reconnect either way. Uh, would love your insight on, on how the interview went or, you know, anything like that, or even just just checking in on the process. You can't do that when you are ghosted in the dating world, but you could probably do that professionally, right? You could totally do that professionally. Here's some of the challenge. And again, it's it's the US in general. We're such a litigious environment that oftentimes HR is only allowed to say, yes, we're going to interview or no, we're going to, not going to interview any longer. You're not allowed to give an answer by a lot of the corporate um, mm-hmm. edicts out there. Um, and if you do, and the company's brought up, you're in trouble, mm-hmm. which is such a silly mindset and culture, but that's where we are today. 
I do believe there's a middle ground where organizations could say uh, um, you are inappropriate because, or what's safer is you were great. Um, however, we found an individual who had a, you know, more experience or just a better culture fit or whatever. You got to be careful with the culture fit because really? that's a string pull, right? Uh, what do you mean culture fit? Right, right. Is a culture because uh, I'm Asian and everybody there is black or is a culture because I went to Howard University and right? So you have to really be anything in the interpretive realm, you have to be super careful with, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Right. Um, but you could also reach out. If you let's say you didn't do that. Uh, hey, how is it? You know, where are we in the process? And it's pretty clear, or maybe you saw on LinkedIn that they hired someone else. You, it's it's okay for you to just be like, hey, you know, I just want to thank you for the opportunity, and I want to thank you for your time. If you could give me any feedback on the hiring process, so I can adjust for future, uh, you know, adventures. If you could just give me some input, I'd really appreciate it. That's totally cool, right? I think it's totally cool to ask. I would say, don't get disappointed with a response of. Um, yep. Thanks for your interest. We'll certainly keep you in mind. Um, we've filled the position, uh, you know, please continue to look at our website for openings. Right. Be prepared for that as an answer rather than next time. Um, don't wear the board shorts to the interview. Right. Right. right? Cause you're not going to get that. Just not going to happen. Um, so as an individual, I think what you have to do is totally drive the process and look for, uh, closure on each step. So don't look for open-ended closure. In other words, if I go out and I do a telephone interview and I'm about ready to hang up with Susan, who's the hiring manager, and I say, Susan, this has been a great call. Um, I've got a few other things in queue. Uh, When do you think you might make a decision on bringing me in or not bringing me in? Uh, Yes is fine. No is fine as well. I just want to manage the process appropriately. And do that each step of the way. When you go in for the interview, same thing. Whoever it is, HR usually is who you want to manage that with is, you know, Bob, it's been great. Um, I've got a couple other things in the queue. When do you plan on making a decision, not on the role, but on next steps with me? Mm -hmm. Because if you put it on the role, um, you don't have control over that as much as you. And give them permission to say, if I'm not the right person, great. If I am, just tell me what the next steps would be so I can manage it appropriately. So if I'm a hiring manager and I'm dealing with so many different roles that I have to fill and so many different people for this one role and somebody gets lost in the shuffle, how am I going to feel getting that email? Am I going to be relieved that they uh, sort of held up more than their end of the bargain by checking in with the process? Am I going to feel burdened that now I have to tell them no and I was hoping it could just terminate naturally? By the ask coming in? Oh, it's a relief. Relief. Because what it does is it allows you to clear that person off the list Mm -hmm. or include them and like, holy cow, I totally forgot about Sally. Mm -hmm. Right. Or Sally, thanks for calling me. I've been meaning to get back to you because to your point earlier in the conversation, it's a tough call. Right. We teach our organization. They're both equal. Be there first with the bad news. Be there quicker because coming late with good news is never an issue. Right, Right. 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 Be there first with the bad news teaches you, um, empathy, respect. And, um, I think in our organization, one of the reasons why we're wildly successful is we treat everybody exactly the same. If you're the winner or you're not the winner, and it's not like you're the loser, but if you're the winner for that role. Um, so be first with that. Right. And it's a process inside, quite honestly, Christina, is organizations right now um, are not equipped for the product flow. Um, those processes have not been designed um, 
for the digital electronic age. They really were designed and still are in place, the majority of them, with mailed resumes. And they were not usually expecting 50, 100, 200, 300 people applying. And so the internal applicant tracking system, the ability to manage the process, the ability to triage the process, and the hiring managers inside who are hiring at scale, you just can't handle that workload. And typically HR, again, is under-tooled and overworked. Right. And so that's what happens. And then multiply that by 10 positions, 15 positions, 20 positions, you can't possibly manage it. Right. And if, if I am the candidate and I don't reach out, the no is still the no. Nothing changes yeah. there. But yeah. if I do reach out, I have the possibility, like you said earlier, of of just staying in their good graces because maybe I wasn't a right fit then, but I could be a right fit when the person they did hire doesn't stick or, you know, I might be the next person in line. So I, I, it would make sense to me to just write the most gracious email you possibly can and, and, and leave it in their court. Absolutely. So here's what my guidance would be on that. If, if you're sitting out there and it's two weeks, three weeks, and you did not get the opportunity to say, okay, what's the next step? Just so I can ballpark it on my calendar. I would absolutely, um, to the hiring manager uh, and HR, uh, drop a line saying, um, you know, Mrs. Hiring Manager, um, just touching base. It's and and use the language of just a gentle touch. Uh, I remain interested in the opportunity. I've got a few other things going on. Um, uh, can you give me some guidance on where I sit in the process? And I'm fine with a yes, and I'm fine with a no on next steps. Uh, should it be a no, I totally understand that. Um, Please keep me in mind for future opportunities. I will tell you, I, I, my hiring managers who get those letters are floored. And you will stand out um, in future consideration. People really like that. And oftentimes you will get answers to that. So that, that's a really, that's an important move to make if you're in that situation. And you want to manage it up front. And then that gives you permission later to reach out. If you manage it up front and say, do you think within two weeks you'd be able to let me know if I'm going to continue in the process? Not the position's open. What is the, pro am I going to continue in the process? If not, are you okay with me reaching out, just touching base with you? Mm -hmm. Now you've established a process and a timeline and you've got the permission to reach back and say, so where are we? Um, and, and then don't, um, if you don't get an answer back to that, just you're done. Mm -hmm. I have people who, <laughs> I have people who are just, um, I've got two or three people on my radar right now that continue to reach out to hiring managers every week with some case study of why they're appropriate. Mm -hmm. like every Thursday, I can pretty much set my calendar like Bob, the vice president at ABC company working for, will get another email from Fred who interviewed and be like, oh, Fred, I didn't mention this in the interview in a soliloquy, right? Oh, Fred, and then another manifesto. Oh, Fred. And then finally, I'm like, dude, stop sending it to the hiring manager, right? So mm -hmm. you can, you can over, you can over index towards that as well. Right. On the candidate side or the individual side, um, I thought about it when you, you mentioned this subject, we've had too many individuals accept offers, tell us they resigned and never showed up for work. And these are people making $150,000 a year. And, and, and if you really want to talk about messing with the karma train, Oftentimes there was a really good number two right behind you who we were negotiating a backup offer for. And then once you accepted and you told us you resigned and you gave us a start date of July 11th. You let them go. Yeah, we let the backup yeah. go. And the backup goes home or accepts another job, even though their heart was set on this. And then people just 
don't show up. And these, I've had enough in my thousands of placements, I'd say 10 or 15 over the years, that there was a no show. See that, I didn't even think it would go that far. For me, I was thinking like uh, an email that says, congratulations, we'd love to offer you this position. And then the person took another job and they just were like, well, I'm just going to ignore that email. Here's what happens. People shop offer. So especially today in the area that we work with, I'll give you an example. When I have a really good software engineer in the Bay Area interviewing, they are typically in the middle of evaluating three to four offers. So what we try and do is also manage the offers because here's how you manage risk. If I'm company A and I know that the individual has three more final interviews in the next two weeks, I won't let my client play the offer because what you're going to do is you're going to shop that offer. Now there's an argument on both sides is be first to the mar be first to it, you know, make the strongest offer. The offer is still going to be strong near the back end. And so, but when you play it out first, it's going to be shopped all the way down the line. And one is you're not going to get a true yes. How could you? And you'll get individuals who will say yes to lock the offer up, bird in hand, right? Um, and then when they say yes and you play the offer too early, um, then you shut the position down and you stop your interviewing and your pipeline empties out. And that's an issue. So even if you're not a headhunter, if you're HR listening to this, I think you need to manage the individuals you're interviewing just as aggressively as they should manage you. So, you know, Carla, you're a great software engineer in the Bay Area. Before we um, put together an offer for you, would you mind sharing? Are you looking at anything else? Because we want to manage our offer appropriately. Mm -hmm. um, you can ask and they can tell you it's none of your business, but you might as well ask. So obviously, like saying yes to an offer and setting a start date and not showing up is unconscionable. And like, we don't even have to talk about what a POS that person is for, for really like setting a lot of balls in motion and then letting them all fall. Um, but how about the person who gets the email offer and doesn't respond because they took another opportunity? Do you have any, uh, sort of cautionary tales about that? Yeah. First of all, it's a small world, right? So let's start there outside of careers, you know, and, and it's a really small world out there. And, and that, that will spread super quick. So if you're an engineer or a salesperson or a marketing person, remember you're running in the same circle, especially from a geography perspective. You know, if you're going to move from San Fran to OpenZipper, Iowa, maybe you have less exposure on that because nobody in OpenZipper is going to know you. But if you're in the Bay Area, everybody knows everybody and that spreads really quick. People are aghast when that happens. And like you said, just getting the offer and not even responding to it. So, I mean... Let's say I get the job offer, but I've, like you said, been interviewing with three or four other people and I already took another one. Better to respond and, and say that, right? Like upfront and, and hiring managers and organizations expect you to be looking at multiple offers. Right. You're silly. If you're, if you're interviewing and you're not looking at multiple opportunities, you're shorting yourself. Well, and you're probably less competitive and therefore less appealing for the A position anyway. Yeah, it does up the offer. It always does. If a company knows that you're looking at another offer and you're, you're up front, you don't present it like you're holding them hostage. Right. Yeah. You just say, look, I am looking at two other things. I'm super excited. I'll be able to give you an answer by Friday. Mm -hmm. If that changes because those interviews got rescheduled, I will reach out and let you know. Mm -hmm. Do it respectfully. Handle it like you would want to be handled both ways. 
Here's another reason I just thought of, and it's happened in the past. I've had people get offers from a company, handle it so professionally, turn it down, and then revisit that company in 24 months because they did like it and the current role they're in went away for whatever mm. reason. And the way they revisited it um, allowed them to quickly get engaged and everybody remembered, and there's a paper trail mm -hmm. about how classy you were. Right. And that raises your stock. Right. Right. I, like you said, it's a small world. So that would, that information will also disseminate. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're really, uh, uh, transparent and that's all it takes is, you know, if, if all you are is transparent, you never have to remember anything that you weren't truthful about. Right. That makes it easy. Do you have any stories about anybody, um, turning down an offer really well, like the right way? Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, so many. So typically is when they're super transparent up front, they tell you what they're looking at. They're looking at multiple opportunities. They give you the number they want. They explain. Um, and then they get on with the hiring manager. And this is what's great is those people uh, are mature, professional, and are totally comfortable with who they are. Oftentimes, there's a correlation between you're not comfortable with who you are as a human being and your ability to be transparent with other people. There's a really direct correlation. So I have found in my career that people who are super comfortable with who they are and are confident um, without being you know, arrogant tend to be like straight up, here's where I am. Um, I'm really evaluating this. We just had a guy, I'll give you an example, sorry. I get a, a surgical robotic company out in the Bay Area, I can't say their name in, in, on the social channels. Um, we had an individual, PhD, out of university here on the East Coast, was like a rock star robotics guy, uh, went back and forth with us. Him and his partner uh, were thinking about adopting a child, uh, told us that in the process, uh, was worried about cost of living in an apartment out on the West Coast, um, got on the phone with the hiring manager two or three times. The hiring manager was like, totally cool, understand it. The university he was at made him a counter offer was going to pay for additional and make him a professor. Um, as he went through the entire situation, they'd also subsidize some of the adoption um, process for him. Mm -hmm. And he turned it down. Um, and he turned it down for the right reasons. He turned it down because it fit him and his partner's life uh, for the next three years. Mm -hmm. And he will absolutely be able to revisit that in 30 days or in three years because he was honest, straightforward, wasn't hiding anything, wasn't being cute, wasn't playing an offer against anybody else. Right. And that nothing but good stuff happens there. Mm -hmm. But that takes, you know, big girl, a big boy pants. Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. And that doesn't always come with age. He was pretty young. Right. Right. Yeah. I was reading something when I was researching this, you know, I, I can't really find a lot about ghosting online other than relationships, but, um, one person, there's like a like a thread on some stupid forum that was like, why do people ghost? You know, obviously that person had just been ghosted on like some stranger on the internet and was heartbroken and reached out again to the internet for resolve. But um, somebody just said, uh, because they don't have any self-respect, so they just project it. And I was like, oh, that's actually like probably a pretty good summary. You that's know? probably a list of things, sure. right? Right. So it's a list. Of but if you're a coward, you have no self-respect. If you're full of fear, you have no self-respect. You know, if you think that you're uh, entitled to things that you're not entitled to, truly, 
fundamentally you must have no self-respect because that's at the bottom of any kind of like ego-driven personality disorder. Yeah. And, and again, if, if you're being ghosted, so here's something that's interesting. If you're being ghosted multiple times, there's one thing that's in common with, right. It's you. And, and so if you find yourself as a serial ghost E, yeah. um, you've got to also look inside. Are you, are you, are you trying for opportunities just are not appropriate for you? Yeah. Right. Are you in the process making it very clear that you're going to be tough to disengage with? Right. So we've all been or been in a relationship where people are just like, dude, I'm getting out of this because already I know I'm going to break up with them. And so I don't want to get engaged in a relationship with them and know in 30 days I'm going to break up with them because it's going to be a stalker situation or it's going to be hostile or it's going to be. Or just why? Call, right? What's we, you know, I've, I've better uses of my time than right. to to follow a, a trail till it's you know, dead end. Holly and I just had this conversation this morning about a potential employee. We were talking about it and she said, so what do you think? I said, well, I think it's easier to get him not to come to our firm than it will be to get rid of him in 30 days. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Because he's worth taking a risk on. But uh, one of my sort of um, early mentors in my day told me, whenever you're looking to hire somebody, and this carries over to marry somebody, date somebody, always decide before you start the relationship if you're going to be able to sit across the desk and fire them. Mm. Because if you're not going to be able to do that, and that goes back to hiring friends, right? If you're not going to be able to do that, don't hire them. And it's the same thing. Um, are you the person who clearly people just don't want to engage with because you don't make it easy for them to disengage with? Right. And so I think there's, there's some ownership that goes on that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Ghosting. This should be a Halloween one. Oh yeah, it really should be. That's true. Oh well. So I'm sure I've ghosted people unintentionally. Well, most of the time. I mean, it's so different now where you can be in constant communication. There's really like no excuse not to be. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why it's a little more palpable when people disappear, right? Like when you used to write letters to people and the letters stopped coming, like it doesn't really mean the same as like, I can see you online right now. Like you're, <laughs> you read my text message. It told you me. A, you have a green dot on Facebook. I that know. means you're online. You're here. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, because there's this like constant presence issue that um, it, it's there. So we should just address it and deal with it. And, and if your excuse is like, oh, I didn't see the email. Well, then you look like an idiot who yeah, doesn't know how to use right. email in 2018. Well, then you've lied twice. Right, right. You've lied twice. <laughs> That's right? a pointless, pointless thing to do. Right. Just look at the email right. and respond to it. Right. And, and again, um, just one more thing is uh, we try and employ in the organization something called radical candor. And radical candor basically is being totally honest with people without intending and making sure you don't hurt them. Mm -hmm. Right. So you deliver your message literally and figuratively with love. Mm -hmm. And so I think if the world really indexed towards radical candor in general, uh, and people took it that it wasn't a personal attack, it was just a statement on where we are and how things are, it would be a much better place. And I think radical candor has a place in uh, the engagement or disengagement with the process. So I, I would, I would, there's a book out there. I, I apologize. I forget the author's name, but go on YouTube and type in radical candor and watch a 13 minute video that really could transform the way you communicate with people and be communicated with because it man helps it manage it both ways. Actually. Hey, Alexa, 
Who wrote the book Radical Candor? Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity was written by Kim Malone Scott in 2017. So there you go. There's your reference, Kim. You can send me my commission. Mm. Great book. There's going to be a spike this week in Amazon. Yeah. Wow, she's good for something. Yeah, finally. <laughs> All right, so this has been On the Line. I'm Joe Mullings. I'm Christina Kay. And tune in next week for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. See you.